Today on Ag News Daily. The high was from August. Didn't have a reason to get above that price point. That was also the 200-day moving average. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's another Market Monday episode here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Back from a little weekend here. Got some snow in central Iowa. And I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Mike Pierce, and this is Delaney Howell reporting for the Agnes Daily Podcast today. Mike, did you guys get quite a bit of snow? You know, we did not get quite a bit. I would say we probably got four inches. It okay. uh, blew around and drifted a little bit. I tell you, we dodged the worst of it. It sounds like St. Louis got mm. a little over 10 inches of snow. Oh, geez. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a pile. Came down all across central Missouri, and I know it is still very early, but looking out to next weekend, it sounds like there's another snowmaker that's going to make its way across and hit that central mid-Missouri region all the way, you know, probably up into our area, I-80 and south, you know, all the way to Indianapolis once again. I don't want any more snow. One snow for the year is good for me. Yeah, it's plenty. I'm ready for it to warm back up to about 70 degrees and for it all to melt and spring to be here and summer to get here and, you know, mm. not be gray and cold. But yeah, wish in one hand, poop in the other. See which one falls <laughs> up first. <boy. laughs> probably your poop hand. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably correct. <laughs> uh, great. On that yeah. note, what you well, got hey, going on for news speak- today? Well, I was going to say, speaking of hoping and wishing, mm-hmm. right now the American Farm Bureau Federation annual meeting is going on down in New Orleans, New Orleans, NOLA, mm-hmm. down there, Crescent City. And as of right now, we're recording this at just about 1.30, President Donald Trump is expected to be addressing that crowd. His speech was supposed to be a little bit earlier, but it got delayed. I think he is on now. And um, the crowd down there is really hoping to hear President Trump talk about trade and perhaps maybe let us in on some good trade news, which has been few and far between the story. Yes, it does sound like uh, hoping to get some stuff. And it sounds like Zippy Duvall, who is the uh, American Farm Bureau Federation president or CEO. What's his official title? He is the president. He's a farmer who is president for uh, the year. He sounds like he is um, maybe going to make some comments or questions at President Trump, asking him specifically, of course, about trade and government shutdown and whatnot. So, yes, that is a lot of things on on people's minds, you know, naturally. Uh, Sonny Perdue did say earlier today that he is working with the Office of Management and Budget to try and find a way to get FSA offices reopened, which Mm. I thought was interesting. Yes, that is interesting since we've seen now we're on the fourth week of government shutdown, but I think this is technically the second week when MFP payments have been halted. Yeah, second or third. I forget the official date that, uh, you know, the FSA officially closed, but tomorrow was supposed to be the final day to get your production records into FSA. They have extended it. So once the government or actually once the FSA offices reopen, You'll be given, you know, a number of days mm-hmm. commensurate with the number of days the offices were closed, which we we don't know offhand how many days that is or will be, but no you'll get cl- the extension. That's right. Okay, this is just a funny sidebar, but I'm uh, going to Georgia later this week to speak with a group, and 
I thought it was funny because they were supposed to have Secretary Purdue as their keynote address, and instead they get me. Well, you'll be good. You'll have to practice your your Georgia accent <laughs> if you're going to replace Sonny Purdue. I'm not quite the same as Sonny Purdue, but a no, close second, but- right? A close, a close second. Yes, I would say that's the way to way to frame that. I'm sure they will be thrilled. Yeah. Anyways, um, got some news. I'm gonna kick it off here, talking a little bit about SNAP and what's going on in the government. The Supreme Court has decided to take up a case over whether nutrition programs retailer data should be shared and released to the public. So programs like SNAP and other programs, WIC, etc. Um, basically don't want their information to be released. The Food and Marketing Institute petitioned the court back in October to reverse an Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals ruling that found the USDA should release figures on how much stores receive in payments from specifically SNAP. And last year alone, taxpayers spent $65 billion on the program. However, these groups do not want their information being released to the public. So now the Supreme Court is taking up this case. Mike, what are your thoughts on the issue? Do you think that grocery stores or nutrition stores or whatever should have to release this information to the public? So they're going to have to release purchases that were made in their stores using SNAP money. Is that what they're asking? Yep. The stores don't don't want to do it. And yeah, that's I don't know how that information is recorded by the stores. Maybe it's a record-keeping uh, pain in the so butt. I'm not sure. When I think about it from, like, food snaps, I I know you have to, like, obviously – I mean, I've seen people use food stamps at the grocery store, and I've done a little bit of reading on it. But, like, the grocery store has to report that back to the government when people oh, use right. that stuff. So now – they were having to release that information and they don't want to have to release that information. I don't know why. However, like my thought is, well, it's taxpayers that are paying for this in the first place. So I feel like because it's taxpayer dollars that are being used for this program, we should be allowed to see how much stores are receiving in payments and whatnot. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I can't see a reason not to grocers, grocery store owners, convenience store owners. If we've got any of you listening that don't want to have to tell us, uh, you know, how much SNAP funds are being spent in your store, let us know why. I, uh, Aside from just, you know, my natural paranoia at uh, having to tell people things, I can't think of a reason why it would be an issue. But again, yeah. I'm not in that industry. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Other than the hmm. extra work. Right, which you know, maybe it's a gigantic pain in the bottom. Maybe, maybe it's a, it a, not not a hernia, a hemorrhoid. Oh, that's nice. A pain in the bottom. Yes. Okay. Anyways, notice I'm being very diplomatic. You are very politically correct today. That's very unlike you. I know. I'm trying to uh, turn over a new leaf, be a better person, <laughs> Delaney. Is that your New Year's resolution? Uh, no, my New Year's resolution actually, I I, I finally made one. Okay. Is and you know this about me. I'm a very fast eater. That's yes. the way Pearsons always are. <laughs> we tend to just <laughs> inhale food. Uh-huh. And so my New Year's resolution is to savor food and eat more slowly. Oh. I think it will be good for me. Um, I, I ate a steak. Heidi and I went out. We went to a movie and stopped at uh, Johnny's Italian Steakhouse, which mm-hmm. is a fantastic uh, steak restaurant in Des Moines. And I savored 
my steak. And I tell you, it was delicious. The food experience was a lot better. So that's my New Year's resolution to try doing it more often. Oh, well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, speaking of uh, things happening this new year, we've talked a couple of times and with several market analysts about the ongoing not drought, but dryness in parts of the soybean production region of Brazil. And Reuters has a story out today on the wetness in some of the soybean production areas down in Argentina. Here was the fact that blew me away. This is in the eastern Buenos Aires province. They're talking to a farmer who manages just about 9,000 acres. And this grower says he's already lost 30% of his early seeded soybeans, and he's not going to be able to plant his late season crop. So he's losing 100% of that crop. And here's why. They have received just about three times their usual rainfall from October to December. Mm. That's a huge amount. Just They've gotten about 30 inches worth of rain, and more is on the way since it is an El Nino year. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're still anticipating that Argentina is going to produce about 50 million metric tons. Mm-hmm. So not a huge cut because most bean production happens a little bit farther north in the Pampas region. But uh, these growers would be sort of like America's Kentucky or North Dakota. Oh, okay. Not quite fringe acres, but right. definitely not the core of production. Um, but they are seeing, you know, lots of challenges, just about, so just about 2 million of the 17 million hectares that are planted with soy in Argentina have been damaged by excessive rainfall so far. Hmm. Wow. Well, definitely something to keep an eye on then. Yeah. Not doing a whole lot of favors for the American bean market though today. No, not, not at all. Well, before we get to that, I have one other quick update here. Another thing that's not doing the U.S. any favors is EU trade or negotiating trade with the EU. The Trump administration laid out a blueprint on Friday for upcoming trade talks with the European Union. And again, they're trying to push ag through. But the European Commissioner, Cecilia Malmström, who met with U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer twice last week, again stressed over and over the EU has no intention of including agriculture in their upcoming talks. However, this blueprint released by the Trump administration did include agriculture as part of their blueprint moving forward to see basically if we can get that slid through or not. So tariffs, quotas, etc., those are all part of it. The auto industry, but commodities definitely have been included as part of that 17-page blueprint. Interesting. So we're kind of trying to backdoor agriculture into these discussions. that's kind of what it sounds like. All right. Well, Robert Lighthizer, we hope you have some luck with agriculture on the EU side since it hasn't been great to us on the Chinese side. Yes, not so much. Well, Delaney, we are going to have our hashtag Market Monday conversation with Naomi Bloom. But before we do that, should we get get an idea of where the market's wrapped up for the day? Let's do that, Mike. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Give them a holler right now. Put a marketing plan in place and stick to it with their help. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner.com. 
Com. And we've got mixed trade in the grains today. Corn market saw a little bit of strength with the March contract up half a cent at 378 and three quarters. The May also up a half at 387 and a quarter. Soybeans, another sell off today as the January contract dropped eight and a half cents at 890 and three quarters. The March down six and a quarter on the day to finish at 904 even. Chicago wheat also down on the day. The March contract down five cents at 514 and a half. With the May down five and a quarter to finish at 519 and three quarters. Looking over at livestock in live cattle, the February contract up 45 cents at 125.4250. The April up 30 to finish at 126.6750. Weakness in feeder cattle with the January contract down $1.27 and a half at 144.85. The March down 50 cents at 144.40. And in lean hogs, the February contract dropped 80 cents today to finish at 61.85 even. The April down 52 and a half to close at 66.82.50. And weakness today in the dairy market. Let's take a look and see what happened with class three milk. The January contract unchanged at 14.07 with February down 19 cents to close at 14.30. Before we get to our conversation with Naomi Bloom, let's get a word from our Hashtag Market Monday sponsor. Hashtag Market Monday brought to us by our friends at Barber Cattle. Are you looking to buy or sell quality cattle? Make Barber Cattle your first call. Laura Barber of Barber Cattle and Sons of Kentucky can connect you with high-quality cattle, and they work nationwide. Call Laura at 859-229-7691. That number again, 859-229-7691. Get the best cattle with Barber. As promised, we have Naomi Bloom with us for today's Hashtag Market Monday, and she is the Senior Market Analyst or Advisor for Stuart Peterson. Naomi, thanks so much for chatting markets with us today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. It's been a little while since we've had you on the podcast. Give us your 10,000-foot view of where we kind of sit with everything trade and policy-wise. I know you uh, follow that pretty closely. What's the Naomi Bloom take on this? (laughs) <laughs> that both sides continue to dig their heels in, and yeah. we just don't have anything resolved anytime soon. And I'm watching over the newswire right now as President Trump is talking at the Farm Bureau event, and um, boy, the heels are still dug in pretty deep as far as all aspects of trade and and other things going on in the world. So with that in mind, what that means for our agriculture markets is that they're likely to continue to trade in these sideways patterns that we've been stuck in for months until we can get some legitimate trade news, negotiations done and dealt with, and the government up and running again, and USDA reports to occur. Now, Naomi, you mentioned sideways trade. We've seen two days of sell-offs here in the soybean market. Can we still consider that market trading sideways? Are we looking at it on a big enough time frame that uh, we're still trading within a range? Yeah, so what I'm talking about there is looking at the March soybean futures and they've been it's a wide range. It's about a fifty cent trading range, but it's been narrowing into about a thirty cent trading range now. So last week we were at the higher end of that range, uh, didn't have the fundamental news to get the market to to push up in terms of higher price points. So path of least resistance is down and we're about a dime yet away from support, which is near eight ninety for prices on the March soybean futures. And I think that support line holds. And then we just see the market just kind of um, pinball back and forth um, until we get some more news. Now, Naomi, you said a 30 cent range, a 50 cent range there. What would be considered a range? I mean, to me, 50 cents is a pretty big chunk of ground to cover. What, When you look at the charts, what are you considering as a range or what has to be kind of the the top end of that to be considered a range, I guess? 
Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, back in early December, the March soybean futures got up to the 940 price point, and that was where the high was from August. Didn't have a reason to get above that price point. That was also the 200-day moving average. Uh, since then, the 200-day moving average has come down, and that 200-day moving average is sitting closer to the 930 price level now. Last week, the market got up to about 928 for a price. Couldn't get through it, 200-day moving average. So now that is our resistance line. Support is down at the 100-day moving average, which is 891. Naomi, we're talking futures here, but of course a lot of growers are seeing a lot of variability when we look at basis across particularly the northern and western parts of the Corn Belt. How are you working with growers to minimize some of this basis risk that we're seeing with a, a lack of, uh, of data, with a lack of shipments, particularly to China? Uh, what we're really focusing on with our clients is hearing each person's story and understanding where they're coming from in terms of their farm, their on-farm storage, the basis and their levels in their community, and what maybe their elevator is offering them right now. So for some people, they say, you know what, I have storage at home and I'm okay to store this for now. And for them... Um, Their risk would be, of course, if markets drift lower um, down the road in case we don't get trade deals done and there are lots more soybean acres next year. So for them, we're looking at covering the downside risk. But yet for other people, they needed to make cash flow sales, and so they've been selling their cash. And for them, we're looking at is it worthwhile to consider reowning it in case the market does move higher down the road. And for probably, boy, the past two months I've been telling clients, you know, I can tell you 10 reasons why the market could go up. I can tell you 10 reasons why it could go down. And you just have to be ready for whatever finally is thrown at us here. And the more a market consolidates, and I think this is the biggest thing that people really need to focus on and remember, the more a market consolidates, the bigger eventually the breakout is going to be down the road. Of course, we don't know if that breakout is higher or lower yet, but it has the ability to be substantial. And if you hear other advisors in the industry talking about why we could see $10 soybean futures. Well, there's a technical reason why they're talking about $10 futures. But you also have people who are saying we could see the market go back down to $8, and there are technical and fundamental reasons why that could happen as well. So we're we're on pins and needles watching which way this thing is going to break out, but we're ready for either event to unfold. Naomi, I want to talk about basis from the corn perspective, ethanol production is pulled back in a lot of areas. What are you hearing across the country as far as basis levels because of the pullback in ethanol production or, or plants in some cases shutting down for a while? Yeah, we definitely have heard that, and, and that is something to be very concerned about um, for sure. For those who that was their place to sell was their ethanol plant. Um, basis across the Midwest is very different. Um, if you're affected by one of those plants that's been shut down, things are not good for you. Uh, yet now in northern Wisconsin, um, where there is an ethanol plant working and there is a competition between um, different um, feed end users, we've got basis the best it's been in a year, where it's about 30 cents under in northern Wisconsin when that's not normal. So um, basis is moving and shaking all over the Midwest and just be really be aware of what's happening in your backyard. Well, we're talking about corn, Naomi. Looking at this old crop market here, the March contract trading at 378. Yeah, up a little bit today. 
What are your thoughts here as we head into spring? Do we have a lot of downside risk if growers end up, or I guess when and if we do get a quarterly grain stocks report? You know, I'm really friendly to corn, and I have been friendly to corn for quite some time. Um, Even if you argue that we could potentially have more corn acres, I don't see the corn price truly in the short term going below 365. And I really think realistically that the market between now and um, like a spring rally or a potential summer rally, that we get that futures price back up to the 414 area. And that's your point to be more aggressive on cash sales. Um, We don't know for sure what is or what isn't with China, but prior to that announcement of them finding 10 years worth of corn or whatever that (laughs) stuff was, um, you know, we're going into a situation where the world was not going to be able to produce enough corn to meet demand this year. And so the demand is strong, no matter what you say about it. There's thoughts that China might actually go back to importing ethanol from the United States, or maybe they buy DDGs from the United States. So this corn story isn't done, but again, my bias is to the upside more than it is to the downside. Naomi, going back a little bit here, you mentioned, or as we know, the WASD report didn't come out last week, as well as other government government reports and export numbers haven't been coming out. How are you and other traders trading this lack of news? I mean, are there signs that China is or isn't importing or bringing in corn and soybeans or pork? I mean, how are you kind of figuring in those fundamentals that we don't really know at this time into your trade? Yeah, what we're having to do is um, just quite frankly trying to look on on Twitter as far as a news source um, using different hashtags to try to find that data. We're looking at um, just looking for um, like big trading units out there, the ADMs, the cargos of the world. Is there any sign that basis is improving in certain areas um, along the river to try to give us a clue that maybe there is exports moving and we just don't know about it? So it's a little bit more of a, a deeper detective work, um, but we're, we're just doing our best to try to find those answers. And I think that goes back to why the market continues to be trading into these narrower trading ranges until we can actually get our teeth on some de- de- decent news that could come out. Now, Naomi, while we're talking the corn market, you mentioned we might see some more acres. What's your back-of-the-envelope number for corn acreage as you look ahead to 2019? I know you talk to a lot of different growers. You talk to seed salespeople. What are you hearing? Do you think 93, 95, 97 million acres of corn? No, I don't think that much at all. Um, A lot of the people that we're talking to really continue to talk about sticking with a regular rotation, but I I will say there, there is a little bit more of a a shift to additional corn acres Um, from the standpoint of people say, you know, I can consistently rely on what my corn yield will be so I can better do my marketing, I can better do my planning for it. So I'm thinking, um, you know, an increase of two to three more million acres for right now based just on the simple talks that we're having. But, of course, that could change, and I am really doing my uh, due diligence to try to talk to as many seed reps as I can who are willing to share their information as far as kind of what those sales have been. Naomi, I want to switch tracks here and talk specifically about the feeder cattle market. At this point in time, do you see the live cattle bringing feeder cattle or moving feeder cattle or vice versa with feeders moving the live cattle markets? Or are they even moving in parallel at this point? Yeah, looking at the, let's let's just start with the uh, fat cattle and then go into the feeders. So the uh, fat cattle market, um, for like the April contract, 
has been slowly moving higher, which is a little bit surprising because we all know that there's more supply coming down the road, but so far demand really has been strong. And when you look at, uh, like even out to the June contract for fat cattle next year, um, continues to creep higher slowly. Uh, then looking at feeders, um, having conversations with clients, it's a little bit of a, a different story from the standpoint of um, like what that marketplace has done, what it's doing. And the feeders today, kind of a quiet marketplace. Uh, March feeders at 144.40, down 50 points. And we're trying to just continue to get a handle on where the demand is going to be for that. And I don't know is kind of the quick answer, um, but it's it's a two different um, market kind of places right now. And, and the cash demand has been strong for fat cattle. Um, but feeders just kind of sitting there, not doing too much for the for the past few weeks, actually. Well, and while we're talking feeder cattle, I've got kind of a crossover question. Dairy feeder cattle for you. Saw a report on Twitter that last week, dairy bull calves, day old, were being sold up in Washington or Idaho, at armor northwest somewhere, for two fifty a head, $2.50 a head. Naomi, when you think about the challenges that are facing dairy producers today, when are they going to get any easier? <laughs> oh, it's brutal. Um, and I have heard that story, too, similar for prices in, in Wisconsin as well. So that is a very true thing. Um, it is, it's just a brutal marketplace right now. We continue to have such strong production. And, and even in um, New Zealand, global production is up there 1.5%. So nothing is, is changing until we bring that production number down. So... I don't have anything really overly fantastic to say about the milk market right now. Powder demand, though, has been strong. Uh, that's more of a reflection of um, Class 4 milk than Class 3. But, yeah, it's it's a grim, grim tale yet there for many dairy producers. Now, when you think about dairy and the government shutdown, of course, in the Farm Bill, we had a new uh, margin protection program kind of work its way through. And I assume that's on hold how are you working with your dairy producer clients to survive? Um, really focusing on what we can do to control aspects of feed inputs or even energy inputs, uh, locking in those lower prices when they've been there. And then on the flip side of that, anytime that that market can give us a, a movement um, to the upside, doing our best to lock in cash sales as appropriate and taking that day by day. Naomi, I want to round it out here with uh, the hog markets. Give us your quick 30-second thoughts on what's going on there, what producers should be uh, looking for here in the next next month or so. Yeah, that hog market um, overall um, had been working higher initially because of the African swine fever happening in China, but we weren't seeing any initial big exports from the U.S. heading to China to make up for that marketplace loss that they're having there. Um, overall, I, I think that the hog market doesn't do too much of anything because we're very aware production is quite sufficient. We're hopeful that the export pace picks up, and so we're going to see just those fundamentals continue to um, kind of balance each other. But I do think that down the road this summer, if we can get China to start importing from the United States, then you're going to see that hog market finally take off to the upside, and that might be where the deferred prices are are higher than what the nearby is because they're expecting that demand to pick up down the road.
Waiting to see China do some imports. Naomi, I think that can pretty much sum up all of the commodity markets here in the start of 2019. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. For our listeners, tell us how they can get a hold of you if they've got questions or they want to manage some of their risk. Oh, I would love to receive a phone call. Give me a call at Stuart Peterson, 800-334-9779 and ask for Naomi. Or you can shoot me an email, nbloom at stuartpeterson.com or find me on Twitter at Naomi Bloom. Perfect. Thank you, Naomi. All right. Well, again, a great conversation there with Naomi Bloom of Stuart Peterson. Always got great things to share there, Mike. But if folks have things to share with us, where should they be uh, heading? They should head post haste without further delay onto <laughs> social media, Facebook or Twitter. Just search for Ag News Daily. Let us know what's happening in your part of the world. What are your growers thinking? What are you thinking about acreage for this next year? That's the kind of stuff we want to know. If there are any stories we need to be covering, find us out there and tell us so we can continue to bring you high quality agricultural news. You can also find us on the web. Just go to agnewsdaily.com. It will take you to our new home at the Global Ag Network, home to some other fantastic agriculturally focused podcast that you really ought to be listening to and with that delaney should we let the people go let's let them go